Welcome back to TKW Draft Season, presented by the Knicks Wall Podcast. I am Jess, and as always, joined by my co-host, Nick. Nick, what's up? Not a whole lot, Jess. I'm, I'm excited. This is one of my favorite pods we do. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. Yes, we do have a special pod today, one of our favorites, uh, so much so that we recorded for way too long last year, and we're going to try not to do that this year. We failed to talk about that pre-recording, so this will be interesting. But uh, we are joined by Ignacio Risotto. Ignacio, our international expert officially of TKW, I think. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for, for having me here another year. And yeah, uh, podcast running too long is kind of a common thread on, on podcasts <laughs> I am because I, I just start talking. And just... if, if, if we want to keep it short, you guys can give me the like international signal, which is start talking over me. <laughs> got it start start talking over me and i realize that my time is done now and uh, <laughs> i'll move on to the next subject so don't worry about it it's all good no i mean honestly the only reason we do want to keep it short is another reason this this pod is extra special is nick got a chance to interview someone we'll be talking about so that's pretty dope so we just want to make sure we leave enough time for that um but of course want to give all these prospects, the, uh, the time they deserve. And the first one, I think by now everyone knows is just like one of my favorites this year. He's, he's close to what my favorite. I, I think, I think Suggs has officially taken that, uh, that mantle, that spot on the mantle. But the first person we're going to talk about real quick is Josh Giddy. I unfortunately, unfortunately, and unfortunately, unfortunately don't think, he's really in the realm of Knicks picks unless they decide to move up, which I would be totally cool with. Um, but yeah, I mean, straight from the NBL in the, what do they call it? Rising stars, next star, something like that in the NBL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, near the end of the season started grabbing triple doubles. And even before that, I would, loved his game but as soon as that started to happen it was it was over for me but ignacio what how do you feel about josh it just in a general sense as a prospect yeah i think with josh what really stands out from the beginning is like the combination of passing at his size so we're talking about a six foot eight point guard six foot eight guy who you know runs the offense carries most of the offensive load and He's not just a guy who makes, you know, the passes out of gravity that we see from most prospects, like the, the common reads, the, the minimal level reads that every prospect should make. But he's a guy who, in my opinion, can make every pass in the book. He can make every read in the book. He's a master in something that I take very seriously when it comes to projecting passers, which is being able to hit not only the guy who's one pass away, but the guy who's two, three passes away. 
and he generates those shorter passes are like the true assist that generates uh, generate the open shots for teammates and i think he's he's tremendous at that um and so in an nba that's you know we're seeing more and more and we talked this off the recording but we're seeing more and more an nba where wing initiators or wing size initiators are really important for an offense and are an archetype that's really hard to get. Um, I think that he fits that, that archetype. So I, I, I see the hype for, for Josh and uh, I, I definitely understand not only in a basketball sense, but also in an aesthetic sense, just <laughs> it's, it's really, it, it's really beautiful to watch him play just because of the type of reads he makes. And, you know, we all love passing. I think, I think us three in this podcast, we, we love those high level reads and, and those passes that make you go holish, you know? Yeah. So uh, I think, I think Josh is, is, is the type of guy to make those passes. So definitely understand uh, both sides of the coin, the basketball value, and also just, you know, being one of your favorite prospects. For sure. Uh, Nick, if the Knicks traded up for him, would you be disappointed? <laughs> Long sigh. Long <laughs> well, all right. Well, I guess you really want Sharif. So <laughs> that's my issue is like, is he going to, he's playmaking is abnormal and unique and amazing for his size. Mm -hmm. But is that better than, right? Like, obviously there's a eight inch difference between him and Sharif, but I, would that difference be worth the, the assets you have to give up to, to take Josh Giddy to move up and take him? Do, is he even going to be better than Sharif Cooper? I, I, <laughs> I love Sharif Cooper. We all know that we're not doing today. We've talked about him before. We'll talk about him again. Um, I would take Sharif Cooper over Josh Giddy if if I had to pick one prospect to to go long term. Would I be happy with Josh Giddy on the Knicks? Absolutely. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it throughout this podcast. It's a trend line. We're going to talk about these prospects. The Knicks need playmaking. The NBA wants, as Ignacio said, playmaking wings, playmaking bigs. We see it with. Jokic, we see it with Doncic. This is what teams want to reciprocate. It's rare. It's it's not likely going to happen for most prospects. A six eight playmaker, playmaking ability like Josh Giddy, you you can't be mad at that. The Knicks would be would be lucky. I'd be happy. Yeah, I'll, and I think. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I will say this though about your chances of drafting Giddy. From people you talk about, from either people in the league or people, you know, draft Twitter, you can find Giddy all the way from six to late lottery yeah. to early twenties. So crazy things happen on draft night. So there's a possibility that he's there. I would doubt it because from what I've heard, the people who are highest on him are actually the people in the NBA. And so they see, Mm -hmm. the thing from they have a different access to information that we do but there's a possibility i would say yeah i i think it, and 
if someone had to twist my arm and like say like what I'm worried about for Giddy, it, it's I mean it, it's definitely the three point shooting. Um, only twenty nine percent from three this past year. But I really like his form. I really like his shot. Like I think he has a chance to figure it out. But I mean that's definitely definitely cause for concern. And then to go along with that, I mean, over seven rebounds a game, over seven assists a game, actually the exact same amount. That's weird. Rebounds and assists, 7.39 per game. Um, it's just that full package, right? Where I think the shooting will come, like we said, you know, six, eight, like just for his size, that playmaking is just kind of what sets him apart for me. Um, but it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I've, I've seen him everywhere on draft boards like it's crazy so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens on draft night yeah um, and, and 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 in the case of the shooting i guess i wouldn't i and this is going to be a common thread in this podcast i always trust nba teams to get the shot right yeah the shot development right there are you know your tragedies of shot development you know there there's your markle faults out there but I there's and- uh Brandon Clark. I still I still want to know Oof. who broke him. I want to know. I I need names. I need names. <laughs> who we broke need to that hold man? People accountable. <laughs> Seriously. So I I trust NBA teams to get the shot right most often times, and I think Josh, you know, shows good touch in other mm-hmm. areas. You know, yeah, floaters, and here's. Yep. Here's a, a, a piece of data, which is from this season, 29 games. Um, so I'm I'm on Instat, which is a, a, a stat platform. He took 27, only 27 shots considered catch and shoot, shoot jumpers against 59 shots coming out of the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. So those are difficult shots. So yeah. it's obvious that the you know percentages are going to drop down uh you know from someone who only takes catch and shoot jumpers so you know i would say though that my biggest concern probably is and why i'm not super high on 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 giddy as other people uh is the defense um okay i i just no, I'm not going to get into the athleticism question because I think it's um, I think saying he's unathletic doesn't mean anything really. I do think that um, if you're going to be six foot eight and that's going to be an advantage, I'm going to need you to guard wings. And I think I'm kind of concerned for the lack of physicality that I've seen from him, especially late in the season. I mean, it could be a business decision. You know, yeah. the I'm going to the NBA. I'm not going to risk myself over this. And I would 100% understand it and um, agree with it. But I, I, I think I'm going to need to see that defensive intensity coming off him. And I, because I also don't think he's quick enough or disciplined enough to cover smaller guards in the perimeter. So he can become that guy that you need to hide on defense. And that, that would be my concern with him. That's fair. 
It'll be interesting. I, I've, I think most recently I saw him going to the Warriors. I don't remember who's, uh, it was probably ESPN or something that I got a notification for, but I think anyone that gets him, they're at least getting like a solid role player that they can continue to build on and eventually become like their go-to playmaker. Um, and learning from someone like Steph or clay, I don't think is going to hurt him at all. So yeah, that, that'd be pretty dope, but, uh, let's keep it moving. Let's go to someone that we actually mentioned last year. I think right at the end, I briefly asked you about him. Um, st- still only 20 years old, uh, Rokas Yokubitis, who I actually got a chance to watch live yesterday against, uh, Slovenia, Slovenia versus Lithuania, um, which he didn't play it a whole lot. I mean, all the older dudes obviously get a lot of run with those types of teams. And I think he kind of ran into that a bit this past season. Also, we'll talk about just, you know, I think he only started, yeah, eight total games. Um, but again, Ignacio, just high level. What do you, what do you got for, for Rokas? Yeah, so Rokas plays for Shalgiri in which is the powerhouse team from from Lithuania. They play um, they play Euro League, which is you know a, an elite competition in Europe. So unlike some of the prospects that we're going to talk about today, he is on a very reduced role from what he did at you know the junior levels. And I've been watching Rokas for a good part of the last three years. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been interesting to see what things have translated from the junior levels and what things, you know, have, uh, you know, haven't been utilized by, by Shalgiri and are, are a question mark. I would say going very quickly, trying to define his game, um, Rokas is a six foot four um, depending on the context, can be your primary initiator, your secondary initiator, pl- played a lot of secondary initiation for Shalgiri. But in junior levels, he was the guy tasked with making all the reads and the offense revolved around him. Um, and just someone who, uh, th- there's a common thread here, but I think his ability to play make on the move, his reactiveness, and just, the ability to make high level reads and see all over the court and the vision is really impressive. He can do that on the move and also he can run a ton of pick and roll, even though Shalgiri didn't play that style of ball a ton. Um, I will say that the question with Rokas and here's what I, what I'll open with you guys is does he have enough scoring gravity to really be the guy you want as your primary decision maker. And I think this is something that we talked about last year. I don't know if we talked about Carlos Salothan last year or, or European point guards in general, but to me, you need to have a certain level of scoring gravity for defenses to... To open up the playmaking. Exactly, because if not, they're just going to dare you to score one-on-one and are going to play the pass. And adding to this, I think the lack of scoring gravity comes from, I think he's better as a catch-and-shoot player from the outside, Mm -hmm. and he's way, way more comfortable 
in the pull-up game from the mid-range stand from three. And I think when you talk about uh, an NBA lead initiator at this point uh, in time, I think the pull-up shot from three is almost a necessity. And so that's where I think that's the, the only reason why I would say Rokas isn't considered, you know, in that tier of first, first round, uh, projected first round prospects from the international game this year. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the, like the catch and shoot versus the pull-up game. Um, he's obviously a lot more comfortable in that catch and shoot area. Um, he is my Lithuanian lefty. I just have a soft spot for lefties. So, you know, that's always good to see. Uh, but one thing, and obviously when we were talking about Giddy, it didn't come up because we know he's going right to the NBA, but he, it's actually already on real GM that he's, I guess he is going to Barca. So he will be a draft and stash type of dude, right? Yeah, I guess unless, you know, there's, I mean, if he would have get drafted, I don't know, in the lottery with the amount yeah. of money that he would get, you know, he would have the money to pay his own buyout. But, right. you know, going in the second round, it's and the rumored length of the contract or what it was being discussed back in June was four years. So, and I'm guessing there's an NBA out clause at some point in that contract, but, you know, not someone who is planning to go to the NBA right away. So right. he expects to play for Barcelona next year. Everyone expects him to play for Barcelona next year. So yeah, 99% is a draft and stash guy this year. So then Nick, would you be cool with the Knicks doing a draft and stash for a guy like Rogas? Yeah, I think, and I talked about this a little in my article about three of the guys we're talking about today. The Knicks have four draft picks. If the Knicks don't move up, then what's going to happen with those draft picks? Because you assume 58 is going to be a two-way G League guy, but 32, 21-19, are we going three roster spots for for rookies, those are effectively three first-round picks. I don't see Tibbs doing that. <laughs> no, and obviously Thibodeau being who he is, you can make some assumptions on playing time and and those sort of things. So taking a guy that you can stash in a, a really premier program like Barcelona if, with 32 for Rocas, that's something I would be be pretty thrilled about depending on what happens with other two picks. Yeah, for sure. And Barca's where uh, Balmero is at, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. How did that work out for him going, staying over there? I think this has been really the best season for, for Leandro, and he mm -hmm. took a, a huge step forward in the key aspect of his game, which was shooting. Like, he started – I don't have the stats at hand. He yeah. started the year really, really cold. I, I remember he was – I think in the mid tens shooting from, from beyond the arc. And then he just has gone on a rampage since I think February. And I'll tell you right away that he finished the year. Um, if the screen will load, load up, <laughs> I, I would tell you where he finished the year from, from three point range. So he finished on 42% on 
low volume, 1.2 attempts per game, but he did it on 13 minutes of playing time. And he upped also his three-point attempt rate from one year to the other. So a really great ability to, you know, pick up uh, that key area of his game. And, um, and yeah, I think it has worked great for him. I wish he would have gotten more playing time, but uh, the, the one thing that, that I also like is that at the end of the year when the playoffs came, he was playing 25, 30 minutes per game. So he was a key area for mm-hmm. a key player for Barcelona that's going to have a ton of changes next year. It's going to yeah. have a ton of roster turnout as most European teams this year because they, they have to make ends meet. And right. it's been a rough season with COVID. So it worked for Leandro. And I think, uh, you know, Barcelona always has great coaching. So it's it's going to work for, for Rokas as well. Cool. Nick, anything else to touch on Rokas? No, you guys sum- summarized it well. I mean, that's really, again, one of the things I highlighted in that article was his on-ball and off-ball ability makes him – a very versatile guard prospect, you know, putting him at the one or the two. And that's something that I, I don't know. We'll talk about some guys with high ceilings. I don't know if I would put him there, but I think he, he's a really solid guard that I would trust to be a, a decent NBA player for, for a while. My bread and butter, not, not a superstar, just absolutely solid. That that's all I'm looking for here, folks. If you haven't figured it out yet, um, more than a solid lefty. Oh, my Lithuanian lefty. It's just everything I've ever wanted. Uh, um, all right, let's keep it moving. Let's go and let's hope I don't absolutely bosh this. We're going to move to Roko Perkachin. Did I get it? How, how'd I do, Ignacio? Excellent. Excellent. Let's go. <laughs> all right. So Roko, he is 18 years old, 6'9 center from croatia um what you got ignacio i know i'm not really giving you questions and i'm sorry but you know i just don't, i just want to know everything don't worry about it because it the interesting thing with rogo for me is that when i talk about him i always say that his archetype is six foot nine wild card just because i think there's a baseline level of passing shooting and driving that he does that if you were to tell me that he develops into a, an specialist in either of those three areas in four years, five years down the line, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would say, okay, it, it, it's possible. But at the same time, I don't think he has developed enough in either of those three areas where I can say, this is what he does at an NBA floor. So it's a really interesting prospect for me to discuss because it how how people rank it at times has more to do with their draft philosophies and what do they think prospects develop quicker or easier than others. It, it has more to do with that than at times with Roko himself. And that's uh, that's kind of crazy for me, but yeah, I think the the overall attractive of Roko is that six foot nine can dribble, pass, and shoot. 
but at the same time, the concerns is that how good is he going to be as a shooter, as a dribbler, or as a passer? So, and you know, we could get into it. You know, where he's going to be defensively, I think he's going to be more of a forward defender than a wing defender. But that also could change the way the way you project him at. But considering he's one of the youngest players in the draft, November birthday. Um, still 18 years old, will be 18 years old by the time the NBA um, season starts. Considering that, I think it's, um, it's, it's a really enticing prospect with the amount of perimeter potential at his size. Yeah. And Nick, I think you brought this up in your article about just like how up and down his production could be like i think there was a tweet that you included where it was like six for eight from three and he just like blew up for 38 points or something like that but that was not an everyday occurrence for him you're on you're on mute the two things that i i noticed with the research in regards to some of those inconsistencies were a level of competition and mm-hmm. he was having – he had some really big games, some some great shooting performances, some super, super efficient performances. Again, not typically at the highest competition. Also, some effort, some effort issues, and maybe those will just change when it's a more consistent level of competition or higher stakes in the NBA or whatever you want to call it. Um, but some – especially on the defensive side, just some, some getting lost – uh, not really locking in defensively kind of stuff that also played to some of that just inconsistency. What do you think of that, Ignacio? Yeah, I think the first thing is that there's a really huge leap between the competition you can get in the Adriatic League or Liga ABA and the level of competition you get with 80% of the teams in the Croatian league. So it's, you can see him put up again. I think 38 was the number of points he put up on a game this year. Yeah. He put up 38 on a game against Sadar, which is a really good team, but, um, and then, so there's, there's, um, uh, a huge difference between what you can put up at the A1 level and what you can put up in the Liga ABA. And so, because it, it's also something that to me jumps the page when you watch it, the, you know, um, just the athletic abilities of, of, of defenders and of rivals is, is different. Um, that That's I one say- thing. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's one thing that, you know, it does make some of this sort of evaluation difficult because I really like him as a rim runner and a, a lob threat. But athletically, can he finish against top tier rim protectors in the NBA? That's a good point. And I think one of the things I like about him is, you know, not just how he's able to finish, which again, to me, is more impressive in the Croatian League than it has been in the Adriatic League. But also, to me, the way he positions himself coming out of those screens, he's always a guy that's 
in the right spot to make himself available. But, and, you know, when people talk about Rocco, they talk about his quote unquote athleticism. And again, for the second time, in <laughs> what, this podcast, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. I, I just think that he is a really good athlete in, in space. So if he has one or two steps to get to the rim, he will finish with power. But I don't know if he has that kind of vertical pop of a standstill. Okay. And that to me is an issue when you're talking about, like Nick said, trying to finish against NBA level centers. Yeah. So uh, that, that I think that's another area where he could grow into, like maybe he develops into small ball four and not even small because he's six foot nine. <laughs> and another prospect that we're going to talk, discuss today is six foot nine and seen as a center. Right. But, uh, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird fit, but, and, and, and I hate player comparisons. And last year we laughed at, <laughs> you know, comparing players to hall of famers and yeah. we didn't do this, uh, this year, but I going through the playoffs, I've been thinking, what if Rocco develops into a sort of Nick Batum version of the Clippers? a guy that in certain lineups you can put at the five, he will space the floor for you off the catch. If he's in the corner, um, can make stuff happen with the ball in his hands. If you put a big on him, like a, a true traditional big, and you would give up something on defense. If you put that traditional big on him, but you expect what he gives you in terms of switchability and in terms of floor spacing, to add more value than what he takes away on, on defense being a five. Uh, I, that's something that's been going through my mind in, in the past few days. And I think that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting outcome for him. And also, I think it's one of the most realistic um, because if everything fails, and I think Nick Batum is a bit of a guy that does a baseline of everything, but nothing at an elite level. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I'm warming up to that comparison, I guess. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> I think, uh, is this who we were talking about before recording where we don't know if he wants to stay or go or cause I don't, yeah, he doesn't have a current team listed right now on real GM. So it would definitely be interesting to see if he's a come right over or, draft and stash type of guy. I think that that will depend on, on where he gets drafted, but yeah, considering that he doesn't play in one of the top European teams, because Sibona is not a, he, it's a good team in the Balkans, but it's not by any means a top European team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and considering that he didn't move elsewhere in Europe, I think he's expecting to go to the NBA right away. Yeah. But, you know, there's contract things and et cetera. I assume that when they, Rocco signed his latest contract in 2019, and by that point, he was seen as one of the top two international prospects in the class, the other being Usman Garuba. And so generally when prospects sign those contracts, they have an NBA out clause because they know they're going to go to the NBA in their first year. Mm-hmm. But you know, who knows, who knows? It's, yeah. it's, 
uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I'll try. I tried uh, asking around, and uh, I didn't. I didn't get any answers. But <laughs> if good. I do, I'll let you know. It's all good. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's go to the next prospect, which is Alperin Şengün uh, from Turkey, 18 years old, six nine. Um, and oh, what's up? Yeah, and this could potentially be the highest drafted of any of these players we're talking about. You think? Yeah, I guess so. He's been he's been popping up for sure. He, he fluctuates on draft boards. Uh, you know, it's him or Giddy is the candidate. But I, I've seen him. Some people have him really high. I've seen him on like respected people as high as like six or seven. I saw him. Yeah, four. I saw him four. See, that's I to almost, me. That's just. Yeah. That's just someone like hoping that five years down the line they can be they can just be like an an I told you so type of person throwing up shit at the wall and see if it sticks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. I'm sorry. We're uh, we're pro cursing on this podcast. Uh, but I think having him forward would mean that you think he's better than one of Cade, Jalen Suggs, even Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Green. Yeah, that's. Yikes. I, I, I don't watch. I don't. I don't scout college players, and even I know <laughs> from just casual watching. Even I, 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 know. Would have a, I would have a hard time accepting him at five or six, but there's a case. Four is just preposterous. <sighs> I mean, and let's get into Shengum right yeah. away. But the thing is, here's where the archetype value and the positional scarcity comes into play, I think. So we're talking about a six foot nine, six foot ten center, depending on who you asked, seven foot one wingspan. So not elite measurements for a center. Um you could argue that he could play some minutes at forward, but also and I'm more positive about his switchability than I think 95% of all draft people out there. But still, I wouldn't be comfortable him switching against most, uh, you know, quick forwards and not even discussing him switching against wings or guards. Mm -hmm. So you have either a limited, a center that's a limited rim protector, or you have a forward that's limited at defending other forwards. That's rough for me, especially when we consider. If you consider uh, this is something personal, but I think defense and ring protection are more important than the five that uh, at any position. You could convince me that there's a case for, hey, let's just put a four that can defend, protect the rim from the weak side. And you could convince me of that. And you, we could get into okay he's a prolific rebounder which he is i think his rebounding just instincts and technique and motor are really really good and so let's say he ends up in memphis and you have a four that can stretch the floor um but can't rebound for his life in jaron jackson but also can protect from the rim from the weak side and you have schengen at the five who can secure those defensive rebounds but it needs to me to maximize its value. It needs to be a really, really special context. And 
you know, when you talk about putting up a draft board, I think 30 teams have 30 different draft boards. I think everyone who works for a team and it's in, you know, in charge of creating a draft board to get some sort of consensus. Uh, I think every employee on every team has a different draft board. Um, And so it, it wouldn't surprise me if a team says, okay, we have the structure in place for Schengen to really maximize his value. And we think he's a starter and we don't care about his defensive flaws and we'll take him wherever he is. I think it's a really, really small number of teams. Yeah. I just, I mean, admittedly, I haven't watched a ton of him, um, but like, let's just go through the stats real quick. So he averaged mm, almost 11 points a game, uh, less than a block per game, a little bit less than a steal per game, one assist per game, mm, 6.8 rebounds per game. Obviously, you know, uh, oh, it looks like he attempted a little over one three a game at 26%, 80% from the free throw line. So is that 80 or 60? Uh, no, 60. I can't read. Uh, so that's not great. Um, I'm out. Can, sorry. Uh, it's, I don't think we're seeing the same stats for this. Am I not? Yeah. Oh, wait, we're not good call. I had it by the wrong season. Don't worry about it. There we go. All right. These are better. Here we go. <laughs> X that out. <clears throat> Almost 19 points per game, uh, one and a half blocks per game. See, we like these already. 1.3 steals per game, 2.7 assists. Oof, still 20% from three, but only 0.95 attempts per game. Uh, 79% from the free throw line. The, uh, that's the case. What you just read, just the raw numbers, that's the case to be made. Right, the production at this age, at this level, in an impressive league, league MVP type season. That's the case. Now, I think, as Ignacio pointed out, there are some real concerns. Are they worth overlooking because he's able to have this success at this age? That's a really good question, and I think I'm 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 gonna add one more layer to this, which is like the part that's not on the stat sheet. So Schengen wasn't really ranked by most people coming out uh, of last season as a draft prospect. Uh, To us, he was a top 10 in his international class, which means likely second rounder or NBA draft pick somewhere down the line. And But he went, worked a ton on his body, improved his mobility a ton, this season and then he gets to this team first you know year as a, as a key part of this team and they start one and eight to start the season they fire their coach they rally schengen becomes the like the focal point of the offense and they make the playoffs they made the final four in the playoffs in turkey and they went down against a a powerhouse team in Efesh. but like being so young and showing that work ethic, showing the ability to improve from one season to the other. And then, you know, 
there's a, a ton of guys who could have said, okay, we're one and eight, we're done here, we're not. And, you know, just the ability to be the focal point of a team that's trying to rally from that to end up being one of the four best teams in Turkey, I think that's amazing. And I think that, you know, that that can be measured. So I, I would assume that a ton of teams that pay a ton of attention to that would like you know, will like that that sort of player and that sort of story going with also the production. Um, again, I have my concerns on on what's, where does he fit on an NBA level and what's the value of his archetype? Um, yeah, I mean, just to jump off something you were talking about, Ignacio, I think there's two, also, there's a major factor here, which is the archetype replication that teams want. And you draft Schengen hoping he becomes Nikola Jokic, which it's that's out there. And it's, it's not a comp I think is, is very accurate personally. Um, but that's, you, you believe in, in the progression and growth and the ability to do that with the playmaking, the natural playmaking talent of that size and hope that that's there. And I, I think the correlation is very clear between Jokic's success, success and Schengen's draft prospect. I was, I was actually going to get to that because I think, and we talked about, you know, arch teams looking for those archetypes and I'm scared of teams watching Schengen and saying, well, Denver made it work with a productive, unathletic center Why can't we? And because he's to, an MVP, that's why. Uh, to me, I personally wouldn't. So let me put it this way: What would Schengen have to do to derive the same value as Nikola Jokic? He would have to become the best passer in the history of the game as a big, <laughs> and he would have to develop. And this is, to me, my main point. A ton of the buckets that Schengen makes are bad shots. They are only good shots because they go with. And that's because in the Turkish league, he has an, an incredible level of touch against contact. And the question is, is that level of touch against contact going to translate 100% to the NBA and it's going to grow from there? Because to me, the, the thing that separates Jokic is that he has a now liar level of touch historically. Yeah. Against contact, it doesn't matter. If Jokic gets the ball in a certain spot, he will make it, no matter the defense you throw at him. And sorry, but to me personally, if I say, okay, this prospect to pan out needs to be a historically good finisher against contact and a historically good passer, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. If, if you were to tell me, okay, we're good with what he does right now, and also we trust him developing the shot, which I think it's a possibility because, like I said, I think the flashes of shooting off movement are there, and I trust NBA teams to get the shot right more oftentimes than not. So I think he's going to shoot at some point. But I don't think the hype of, 
oh, he was the MVP of the Turkish league and he's going to come here and be Jokic 2.0 are in any sort of way justified because that's diminishing the historic type of player that Nikola Jokic is. That That's what I think. I, I just find it very funny in all of the the reading I've been doing and different evaluations, the, the two comparisons that I, I see, and again, we, we've talked about it, we talked about it a lot last time, you know, most draft comparisons are trash and they're very funny to us. The two comparisons out there are Nikola Jokic, who just had one of the greatest seasons in the history of the sport of basketball, and Ennis Cantor, who is a serviceable regular season backup big that can't play in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, and there's no in between. There's no in between. Maybe if he would have <laughs> if he would have been born in the US and would have gone to college, they would be comparing him to another US player, depending on his ethnicity or where and, he and went to college. Compare him to a Turkish player or a European, yeah. you know. <laughs> the thing is uh, and, I'm not I'm and, not gonna mention the player I compared him to before that we started recording. No, I I was going to this so What's the last post-centric player at 6'9-ish? Let's be optimistic, 6'10. What's the last post-centric 6'10 player that worked in the NBA with a 7'1 wingspan? And, you know, we talked about Jao Kafour before this podcast, and the difference is that Jao Kafort had a seven foot six wingspan. And to me, you know, the concerns defensively, I, I, I will say this I think Alpern has a better motor and just better instincts and timing than Ja ever did. But I don't think, I think Ja had better tools. So. Again, to me, it's just it's just hard to, um, you know, be so hyped about it uh, as 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 other people is. But you know, it's it's difficult. It's 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 difficult to see like where's where's gonna be the value of him. And I don't know. To me, I, I'm really rooting for the guy. I'm I'm really rooting for Alperin because of all the work that I know he put in. But yeah, to me that that type of archetype is, is 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 rough to translate in today's NBA. Not to say that there's not not value in there. I just think the and I'm sorry for being repetitive, but the context is a very small subset of teams to me. I feel it. I got you. All right, let's. Let's touch on our last prospect who is actually who Nick got a chance to interview. So we'll keep it kind of short on him and leave time for that interview. But that's uh Vrenz Blyenberg, I think. Maybe yeah. nice. Nailed it. Uh from Belgium, played for shout out the Antwerp Giants and my guy Dave Dzinski. Uh I think he's leaving there now, though. I don't know where he's going now. But anyway, shout out them. Shout out the Giants. Um, friends, yeah. I, I, Nick, if you want to kick this off, just because you just talked to him, um, what you what you see from him, what you think about him. Yeah, Vrenz is a super interesting prospect. Um, he is 
a high upside guy if we are talking about the sort of archetypal comparison that Ignacio was just discussing with with Schengen. It's going to be Alexei Pokashevsky based off of how he is portrayed as a prospect. He is a 6'10 point forward. He's fairly unique in a lot of a lot of those sort of things and typical prospects. His floor is very low. His ceiling is very high. I I really like some of the way that I think his game will translate, specifically as the ball handler in the pick and roll. And I the vision is there, the playmaking is there. Um, but also it's a low level in, in Belgium that he's playing against. The scoring hasn't necessarily been there. The the defense is mostly projection. And I think it this all a lot of nuance to how he how really how you see him as a prospect because it's I think a team can take a chance and I I think he'll be worth the risk, but also I can see a team not wanting, not really seeing it because of some of these factors, again, like the level of competition he's playing against. And that was something I, I talked about him with, and, and you can listen to. He acknowledges that he's not at the highest level and that Belgium is not super respected and specifically athletically, there's a difference there. But he talked about playing in Euro Cup, playing against NBA guys like Kuzmingis and Teodosic specifically. And those are things that really gave him confidence. He had a breakout year and he, he believes in himself. And that's something, that's something. I think to me, Brands is one of the most fun prospects to, to watch. Like I just have so much fun watching him and it's reminiscent of Poco and just that, just, you know, watching a six foot 10 guy handling the ball, playing point guard, because he he plays point guard, uh, he makes most of the decisions for that team uh, whenever he's on the floor, and just he, you talked about his confidence. You can see that he thinks he can make every pass in the book, and he will attempt the wildest. You know, there's there's a quote of I think was R.C. Buford when the first time he saw Ginobili played which was he was attempting all kinds of crazy shit. Some worked, some didn't. Uh, some make sense, some didn't. And when when you watch Brands, it's like some of that leaves you in awe, just wow. And some of that is just, <laughs> why the hell did you do that? But I, I, again, it's like, and it goes back to this, the ceiling is high. If he can make 80% of the plays he attempts, whether it is, you know, those risky creative passes that create open shots for teammates, whether there are the ability to shoot off the dribble at six to 10, which is insane. Um, you know, and the, the defense, I think the length and he's, he's just timely and has the instincts to get in passing lanes and protect the, the rim from the weak side. Um, when when he's on and if everything goes well, I think he has a, an insanely high ceiling. I'm talking, you know, third best player, second best player in a 50-win team. But it's a very, very, like everything needs to 
go right for him. Mm-hmm. And maybe his median outcome is being out of the league by, you know, in two years, like project, you know, just a project guy. So I think some teams might be in a position where they are comfortable saying, hey, let's swing for the fences. Let's get this guy. And, you know, some teams might be comfortable with saying that at 27, and some teams might not be comfortable even saying that at 60. Right. Me, me personally, if I have multiple second rounders or if I think, you know, some of the concerns that I attempt to address through the draft can be addressed by free agency or, or by undrafted free agents, I think I would take him, I would take him anywhere in the second round because I just think that ability, uh, you know, just those perimeter abilities at the size and the defensive potential are unique. And I think, you know, swinging for the fences is, is, is worth it at, at certain points of the draft. And I will say there's a certain appeal to that sort of high upside, right? Because we posted the, the article for the next wall where I wrote about Roko, Rokas, and Vrenz. We've posted it a couple of times now, which I appreciate. And not once has a single person commented back about Roko or Rokas. Not nobody. Nobody is like, oh, I'm super excited about this, you know, solid other than Jess. Nobody has said I'm super excited about this solid lefty, you know, potential like backup point. I did guard. literally quote tweet it with Lithuanian lefty and like crossing my fingers. So yeah, I literally am the only person. Yes, when, when I wrote that article, Jess, and I referred to him as the Lithuanian lefty at some point in that piece, <laughs> I thought of you. Um, n- n- that's not exciting to people, not, not your typical fan base, right? When you're like 6'10 point forward with creation potential that, that can shoot, yeah, that, that will all of those things happen? No, probably not. But that's something that people are excited about. And I think that's an interesting thing when we talk about prospects is – you most people are not the three of us. Most people are going to watch YouTube clips, which are only the the positives, and the positives of Brenz Blymerg are crazy high. Now, some of that is discrediting or discounting the the level of competition and some of these things, but the ability is there, and it is makes him a super fascinating prospect. He he talked a little bit about the shooting with me. And that's something he's talked about in the past is his shooting got a little, he's a very skinny kid naturally. And when he has worked on bulking up in the last couple of years, which is something he's really prioritized and wants to keep prioritizing as he comes over, that kind of changed his body and, and that impacted his jump shot a little bit. And he's a little disappointed with himself. He's not the level of shooter that he was as a younger prospect in his mind. But that's really, again, that's his other priority besides the the physical bulking upside is is really getting that jump shot. He's not happy with it, but he wants to keep getting it there. I will say, though, that, you know, from just watching, and it's pretty fresh in my memory because I, I watch him, I think, one hour before recording with you guys. But to me, he's improved a ton in his shooting motion. Um, he had... 
and 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 the worst part is that you know he had this broken shooting motion just got his shot out off from seemingly his chest you know some lonzo type of stuff going on there and this year he looks way more more comfortable but the shot always went in at a good rate you know when whenever he had that 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 broken motion uh he was also shooting 35% from 3 on 5 attempts at the U16s and this is a guy that not once in his career has finished a season below 30% from 3 and i think the free throw is high 60s low 70s generally so I, I think again the shot is gonna come around. I, I just think the level of touch that he has, the the shot is going to come around. I think he and you touched on to me the key with him is gonna be the strength because I think he's so focused on shooting threes and and trying to make his game out of the rim, just because whenever he goes to the rim. He, you know, just routine physicality can throw him off balance. And even though he tries to compensate with his length, um, I, I don't think he's going to be a viable finisher at the NBA level at this point, unless, you know, the, the, the strength comes around and, and he becomes more, um, you know, able to handle physicality as a finisher. Well, that's that's probably the biggest comparison to Poku, right? Is yeah. that was the the knock on Poku as a prospect was he is, a, you know, a pencil as a player and is not going to have the strength to be able to compete at the NBA level, and that that's what he needed to work on. Now, Poku had an interesting rookie year, um, a little yeah. weird with some some up and some down, but that's something that is going to be similar to friends where like, I don't think most players or most people should be expecting him to be able to be on NBA court next year. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just reading through his stats and he takes 8.4 field goals per game. And he only takes 1.9 free throw per, free throws per game. So he goes to the line. He, his free throw attempt ratio is 0.23 which is a really low mark, especially for someone who has the ball in his hand so much of the time. And, and that was something that he brought up when I, when I spoke with him, not just, not about his free throw rate specifically, but his shot attempts. He was not super happy with the amount of attempts he was taking per game. Cause he said, he's always been so focused on, on passing and, and finding the right play that he was not looking for his own shot. And that's something he's working on. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, um, and just to bring it home, but I think the, the, just the ability to make passes and from, from brands at that size is, is amazing. And this year, I, I think he, he looked more to score. I don't think he ever was a guy that would be putting out eight shots per game. Uh, even last year, even though he played half the minutes, but he attempted less than three shots per game. So this year, I feel like he really tried to, okay, I'm not just 
this kind of offensive willow. I'm, I, I can also score the ball. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting what, what can happen with brands. Me personally, I would say that I'm probably higher on his projection as a shooter and as a defender than most people. And I think those two things at six foot 10 ha have its value. I just think that it's a matter of where does he fall? And, and, and we didn't even talk about his position. We've been talking about his, his, you know, skills, but in, in, this is something that I bring to you. Who does he defend in your opinion? He, he, when I spoke with him, we talked about him guarding point guards. And he talked about guarding Milos Theodosis and that was something that I think gave him a lot of confidence and he felt good. And I think kind of that challenge just from talk, picking up on some of the things when we talked um, about being able to guard point guards and he can guard at that level. I don't see him guarding NBA point guards, but that is something that I mentioned and I, a switchable wing defender that that's a good point i think i think he really moves his feet well in the perimeter that that's what i will say i think he said it's best in a position where he can be the first guy to help whenever he's near the rim because i just think and i don't think there's a wingspan measurement out there I think Brent's tweeted it out <laughs> at some point because he's always he considered. tweets so much. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I just, I just, I'm thinking about the the potential <laughs> entre entertainment factor <laughs> once he gets to the league. <laughs> uh, just because uh, I, I don't know. Just I want to see him tweet and once he's on the league, but. Um, But yeah, but I think the wingspan and the length is definitely there. So I would like him to be the low man and get it, get him to help whenever there's a leak in the perimeter, especially if the other team is playing five out. Because that's where he racks most of his defensive events, his blocks. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a weird fit. But probably I would put him on six foot seven, six foot six skinny guys. You know, you're you're generally the guys that are your shooters. And I would say try to use your length to get in passing lanes to bother shots, and not throw him against the physicality of NBA force. At least in his first year, we do agree that if he goes to the NBA on his first year, he's going to spend most of his time in the G League. Yeah, yeah. So I will say. Okay. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I'm just interested to see he got invited to that huge group workout uh later this week and looking at like the other guys that are in it, I think that could potentially be like a very good test just to kind of see where he's at versus these other these other guys. And there's a really a large range a wide range of the types of players i think and like where they're projected to go um a lot of second round players that i think it'll be hopefully we get you know some video out of that or, or something out of that um and and can kind of see just where he stacks up against some of the guys that are also going to be there at that big minnesota group workout 
personally, I think he's going to come away from this workout higher than he goes in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, this is a bit of a showcase for him. He's not really completely out there yet. And again, the level of competition is a, is probably the, is a top a major knock for him. I think this is going to be a really good chance for him to be able to show some of that versatility and, and also just the measurements. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And I think I, first, I hope he does because I, I, I'm also rooting for him because I just think he's so fun to watch, but I think it definitely is going to depend on how much this workout is scrimmaging and, you know, playing a competitive game against how much is individual workouts, athletic testing, you know, shooting, etc. I think if he goes, he shoots the ball well in, you know, those, you know, shooting tests, he has good measurements. He, he does have good measurements. And also, I think he's one of the guys that if you were to test him in, you know, full court sprints, I don't know if there's a six foot 10 guy so fast in a straight yeah. and he shows it with the ball in his hands he catches the rebounds he goes in transition and it's really difficult to stop him the ball doesn't slow him down which is awesome um so yeah i think i think he can come away with this workout to me sounds like it's kind of a from the names that i saw it's more of a okay, this is the guys that are on the bubble of that second round. And this is your, okay, you get a promise or, you know, come back next year or risk to go undrafted. But I don't know. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully he does. And um, he doesn't have a contract for next year from what I saw. He just left his Belgian team. Yeah. I don't know if you talked about this with him nick i don't know if he wants to go to the nba right away i would assume so but if not i think there's the possibility of him going back to europe after getting drafted so he he's pretty dead set on, on coming over he yeah. thinks he'll benefit from the staff and facilities specifically for his strength which i think is true he, he talked about some of that with not having the best facilities in belgium and that's something that could benefit him. And I think the other thing is just he feels ready to leave. He's had other opportunities to leave Belgium and he hasn't felt ready. And now he he just he thinks this is his time. I think that's an interesting perspective. I, I think um he's he he'll come over and I, I would be surprised if I'm talking to him if he's in Europe next year. Yeah, I remember Barcelona being in the mix for him at some point. Like, I think it was end of the 2019 season, the 2018-2019 season, and he went uh, back to Antwerp uh, in Belgium. Um, I think the other thing is European teams are there, like the players they get are to win now. And when you talk about brands, you talk about a player for the future. And not a lot of teams are going to bet in the future of a player or a player that's going to be productive in three or four years down the line. 
where also the M- the threat of him going to the NBA is all is is also there. That's the reason why Pokushevsky played in Olympiakos B team last year in the second division of Greece and not for a first division team anywhere else because he wasn't really able to help winning right away. So I, I I'm guessing that if it comes down to that, I guess. And I, I'm just speculating here. I have no no connections, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets drafted and goes to the M- if if he doesn't find an NBA team right away, if he gets drafted and goes to the NBL or some sort of league like that that puts a lot of emphasis in player development and can say, hey, yeah, we're gonna give you minutes even though it means you're not helping winning right, right away. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to see not only from European prospects, but U.S. prospects in general uh, in the next few years. Uh, players who would rather go to Australia than go to the G League and say, hey, stash me one year in Australia, and then I'll come back next year and and we'll see where we're at. So I don't know, just kind of fun to speculate because there are so many options with him. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and he, he both in my conversation and the little I talked to him outside of that, just like he just he wants to help teams win, which again right now is probably not going to be the case. But he's just like I want to cheer on my teammates. I want to come over and and be with the guys. He wants to to really embrace America and, and whatever team he's on. Yeah, makes sense to me. Um. I think that's all the prospects we have. We did it. We did it, guys. We did it. How how much time did we? Did I don't we know. Have? I I don't think Zoom tells me. It tells me after the fact, and I did not take note of what time it was. But I think we did all right. Oh, okay. Um, that that's awesome. I'm I'm I'm, I'm really. <laughs> yeah. I don't want I don't want to be the one to blame. Them. <laughs> it is all good. Uh, Ignacio, do you want to plug? I know I can tell the people you are at Airball, but it's Wait, E-Y, hold on. I'm going to get this wrong. Hold on. I'm, I'm, no, no, don't worry. Know. It's E-Y-R-E ball. Uh, there we go. You can, you can follow me there on Twitter. You can also follow the account of ID Prospects, which is the site I work for is ID Prospects, as, as it sounds. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram. So definitely uh, check us out. The website is ID-Prospects. We cover international prospects here around. Um, and especially if you're into prospects that are going to be in the mix for 2022, 2023, 2024, um, or prospects that are going to come, you know, and play college in the U S from overseas. You know, we're, we're definitely uh, one of the places to go. So yeah. The, the uh, place I, to go. The place. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> cool. And then obviously we talked a lot about it, but check out Nick's uh, piece on three of the guys we talked about tonight and make sure you stick around for his interview with friends. Um, I, I believe we're also going to put the, the video footage of that on YouTube. So check okay. that out. Um, cool. I'm wearing a pretty cool group tie. Oh boy. So, uh, that. There, there's that. Yeah. So make sure you're obviously following TKW. I'm sure you already are. If you're listening to this, Follow Nick at not the fake NC with the oh, underscores, the, the appropriate amount of underscores. Uh, 
um, J-Ron 44, and the draft's almost here, which is pretty freaking insane. Uh, it has come super quick this year, I feel like, just in comparison to last year, obviously. Uh, so, I, I yeah. Any, any offseason compared to last season, but yeah. also because the Knicks actually made the – made a playoff made the playoffs for the first time in a long time right exactly exactly all right well that's all we got for you guys tonight and we will catch you on the next one Hello, I'm Nick Carananti for the Knicks Wall, and I'm here with a very special guest for today, and that is Belgian draft prospect Vrenz Beinberg. How you doing? I'm doing fine, man. Thanks for uh, letting me in. I'm very excited to have you on today. There's a lot I want to talk about, and there's a couple reasons for that, with specifically being how unique of a draft prospect that you are. You are, for those who don't know and haven't read our article on Vrenz or listen to our podcast where we're going to talk about him. Renz is a 6'10 point forward from, from Belgium. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your game, Renz? Um, I mean, my game, uh, my strongest points are like uh, using pick and roll. Uh, because I'm so tall, I can look over the defenders, uh, find open teammates, and that's the most important thing for me. Uh, a good running team. I'm not the guy that already showed um, a lot of scoring because I'm not looking for myself yet. I'm looking more for the team. So I think um, my game is really based on sharing the ball, uh, get open teammates involved, and that's the most, thing, uh, most important thing right now for me. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's what makes you unique as a prospect because that's not something you typically see from, from players in your body type, right, mm-hmm. with your height and your length. Sure, sure. Uh, normally in Belgium, if you are like uh, six foot eight, you are a big guy. I don't know in the States how it is, but if you're like that, you're a big guy. And if you're small, you're a guard. But because uh, I played in a team with no, not really a point guard, I was I was the only one able to to uh, play the point guard. And since I was young, I always played on the point guard. And it was just like my favorite position to play. And that's why I'm still using like a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of the ball in my hand. But next to that, I still can play off ball. I like to play off ball. It really is not a problem for me. Well, I, I think that's an interesting difference between your development compared to players in, in the States. Because you have been with the same team since, if correct me if I'm wrong, you were three years old? Yeah, three and a half. Yeah, I started that's... there. That's very different than than how players mm-hmm. typically play in the states. Sure. How do you think that has helped your development? I mean, yeah, I started really, really, really young, um, but I did it step by step. I went to under eighteen, under twenty one, and then go go to the second team. Uh, I proved everyone because not everyone believed in me when I was a younger age because I was a really skinny dude. I had talent, but I was really skinny. And um, it was really tough to play in the second division because everyone was bullying me on the physical on physical aspect. But uh, when I became stronger, uh, my talent came up and 
I really proved I, I can play on the highest uh, division in Belgium. And then, yeah, when I when I came in, in the first team, uh, when I played with other Americans, I really like to play with them. And I always have a good relationship with the Americans here. And, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, it's not the right uh, moment to step out of Belgium and make the next step. Yeah, that's exciting. And you, you really have had a breakout year in the last, last year or so, right? And... How has that changed things for you in regards to the exposure to you as a player internationally and specifically for the NBA? Uh, I mean, yeah, last year, like, I, I, don't, I don't mean this year that just uh, is gone, but the year before I was a lot working on my development because I really wanted to develop a lot to, to be ready for this draft. Uh, this year we played the high level league in uh, in in Europe. We played Euro Cup. It's like one division lower than uh, Euro League. Uh, I proved a lot there. I had a lot of uh, a lot of minutes, a lot of uh, experience, and I think that was the most important thing for me this year. So uh, I think that's also a thing I can bring to the table for uh, NBA teams is the experience I got on professional level, and that's yeah, that's really a thing I think. So something you've mentioned a couple times now is really working on your strength. Yeah, for sure. Can, can you talk a little, a little more about that? Because that is something I know you've talked about you're still working on. How has that impacted mm -hmm. how your game has I changed? Mean, I mean, yeah, for us, it's in kilograms. But when I was like 17, 18, I was like 70, 70 kilograms. It's like 155 LBS. And in two years, I went from 155 or 160 LBS to 205 where I'm right now. So I gained a lot, but I'm still not done yet. I still want to uh, be around the 100 keys, like 220, 215. That's my perfect weight, I think. So that's the thing I really got to improve. And I, I think like in Belgium, you don't have the 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 best facilities, but it's still you, you gotta you still got to do it. But I think if if I can really work with, with great trainers that really can help me, that know all the right things. I, I really think I can make uh, a lot of more steps. And so that's something you're you're focused on for working when you come over to the states. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I really, yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to to work on myself. But I still want to be in the team. Any role I get, um, I wanna I wanna help the team winning, even if it's on the bench. Uh, or the minutes I get, the bringing energy on the floor, uh, off the court, being there for the team. It's not just for me being there, but also for the for the teams that believe in me to help them win. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. That was something I was going to ask. So you are not then interested in staying as a, a stash prospect overseas? You're you're looking to come immediately over nah, next year? Yeah, I, I, re I really want to. I really want to. Uh, I'm I'm kind of ready for it, and I really want to to give it a try because I feel I'm ready, and I just want to help the team and uh, oh my bad, uh, a team uh, help a, a team win, and that's the most important thing for me is uh, being in a winning team. That that's great to hear. I'm sure you know that's something that teams are gonna love about you, mm -hmm. and specifically with how you're gonna develop as a as a player that has played professionally and played against mm -hmm. grown men in a way that you don't play mm -hmm. in amateur players in the States, how do you think that helps you? I think I got, like I said before, I got a lot of experience. I, I played against like uh, Milos Teodosic. I, I got him like two games this year. Uh, 
I really matched up with him. And like uh, Kuzminskas, he also played it for New York. Uh, I played against him. Um, so th these are guys that I talked also with them, and they also also say to me like, "You're a really good player. You just gotta keep working, and and you will you will be there. You can really play in the NBA. And if people that are on that high level saying that to you, it it does something to you. And yeah, I really want to do it, and I'm really tr uh, working really hard for it. And we will see. Yeah. So. You've, you've really been an interesting prospect to, to read about. There's a lot of different coverage about you as a player. You're talked about as this unicorn-type player. That term is thrown around. This sort of X-factor wild card term I, I thrown around. What do you, I've heard thrown around. What do you think about the way that you're talked about as a draft prospect? I think the biggest thing for me is, like, being versatile. Mm -hmm. uh, I can be on the court uh, being – using the ball, find over teammates. Uh, I can be the guy that um, play defense on one guy, get him out of the game, being there for the energy, whatever. And that's, I think, the biggest part for me to bring to an NBA team, uh, what the team needs and uh, how my teammates, uh, that, that my teammates are happy. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. And that's also the most important thing for a team, that the team is uh, rolling good, uh, that they are happy and yeah that's the most important thing for me for sure for sure so again you're you're a pretty unique prospect because of your size and and play style are there any players that you would compare your game to um not really because i really want to not not like being another player or follow the footsteps of of another player but if i watch a player and try to get some things off a player in the NBA is like Luka Doncic. Mm -hmm. How he's using the pick and roll is really, really nice to watch, and how he's creating space for himself. Don't, yeah, he's taking more shots than me because I'm, I'm more looking to pass and looking for myself. But that's a, that's a thing where I gotta work on. And yeah, if I see a player doing that, uh, that so it, it really helps me in the, in the game. Yeah. So can you talk a little more about your jump shots? I know that's something you've mentioned that has kind of changed as you've gotten stronger can you talk about that a little bit i mean yeah when i was younger uh, i always uh played with guys that were older than me so uh when i was young i had to play with a bigger ball and i wasn't strong enough to to make three pointers so my my shooting form is not like the perfection but i think the most important thing is you gotta you gotta have um yeah, how do you say it? If you believe in your shot, it will fall. How you shoot the ball, if you get like okay, uh, okay shot, and you make the shot, why is it not good? Um, so yeah, it was really tough for me because also I had to work lots of a lot of my physical, and um, it was really tough to combine these because yeah, working a lot of your arms, the chest, it will. Yeah, change your form a little bit because you're getting stronger. And it was, I had like two years that um, my shooting was not falling, but this summer I picked it up a little bit. And yeah, I think I, I can be a really good shooter because I was also in the youth. So I, I'm, I'm not happy uh, yet with my shot. So that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, which is you were confirmed today that you will be going to the the group workout in Minnesota next week on yeah. July 8th. What mm -hmm. are you looking to show teams that, that will be watching you there? Um, 
I want to show a lot because uh, I'm I'm been under the radar for a long time. I wasn't really busy with it with it because I just focused on myself. But yeah, in the back of your head, you still a little bit worried about everything. But I just want to show what I can do, and I think uh, I'm more interesting than what's on the table right now. I think I can show a lot. Yeah, that's something I'm very excited to see how your stock rises once you get in those situations. Because I do think you are a player that, like you just said, you've been under the radar. And your name has started to come out a little more, a little more at a time. There's some people that have have you very high on their draft board, but you still mm -hmm. yeah, sure. you have a pretty wide range of, sure. of where you fall on, on most typical draft boards. What do you think is if you were to sell yourself in a sentence and you were to say, this is why I should be a first round pick, what is that reason? I have to say, because I know myself way better than other people know. And mm -hmm. that's why some people range me like undrafted to 20 speak. But I believe myself, I can be a first pick just of my talent and my hard work. If I make a lot of steps, I can't really, um, make an impact in the NBA team. I believe in that for sure. But um, I think, yeah, for some scouts or whatever, Twitter or mock drafts, it's tough to to watch clips from a Belgian league, don't know a European player, how he plays. And the way I play right now is also not the, the best way I, I can play. Uh, I think I'm a great scorer, but... I don't take enough shots if I take, like, it's, I think I average this year six shots a game. It's way too less for a player that have, like, 20 minutes of ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. So that explains a lot. Um, but I think I really can be uh, – I, I really can get an impact on NBA teams. So do, do you pay attention to the, the mock drafts and the, the draft Twitter talk about you? Is that something you're I – mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm active on Twitter just – I'm not I'm not really caring a lot, but I see the guys doing hard work and I think it's also fun for them uh, if a prospect answers or or likes or retweets his stuff. And I think it's important. It's a it's a process for us, but they're doing their their stuff and I think it's also fun for them. Uh if you rank me undrafted or rank me twenty range, it doesn't matter for me, it's your opinion. So yeah, um I'm friends with any anyone on Twitter and if I can talk to the dudes, uh, why not? Mm -hmm. No, that's cool. It's, it's nice to see you being interacting with people. Um, one thing mm -hmm. that is talked about, and you just mentioned it, your, the league you play in is a big talking point about you as a prospect because it is hard mm -hmm. to compare how that will look like to the NBA. I would love to know what you think some of the major differences are between the European basketball stylistically and the NBA. I mean, like, yeah, the weird thing is, like, I play better if I play against a higher level teams because if you see my stats in the Euro Cup are better than my stats in the Belgium League, and that's kind of weird. I don't, I don't know why it is, but I like to play against higher level teams because you are more, like, focused maybe. I don't know if it's the right word to use. But... um the, the most different thing is I think uh, in the NBA is way more isolation, uh, individual stuff. And in the 
in the European leagues, it's, I will say, better defense, uh, more, more tactics and more plays, like really running plays. And, and in the NBA, it's more like individual uh, talent. So I think in, of the, the film I watched of you, in my opinion, one of the things that's going to really benefit you in the NBA style is your ability to be the ball handler in a pick and roll situation, especially, yeah. you know, getting creative, running different, different sort of situations with you as the, the role man or the ball handler because of your size. Is that mm -hmm. something that, that you've specifically worked on or as a prospect, is that something that you really pride yourself on? I think I was always like from the U when I played like a uh, European championship with the U, I always like was a point guard in my team. Mm -hmm. And I always like, we had a good, we got a good big guy and we had like yeah, me on the point guard. So we always had to play pick and roll and I had to find the solution. And that's what, that, that really teach me how to use the pick and roll because I did it so much. I really, I really got better in it. And I think in the NBA, I get better athletes, better screens, better shooters from outside. So I think it will be way easier in the league. Okay, you get better defenders, but I think it will be easier in offense to to find the open man than in Europe. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point because the NBA in the modern game has such an emphasis on spacing. Yeah. And that will impact how you look as an offensive player, but I do think that will also inf impact how you look as a defensive player. So if you could sure. talk a little about your defense, obviously with your your size and athleticism, that's something that I think is a good selling point. If you could talk about that, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, when I was yeah, like one year ago when we played Champions League, I was a, a backup point guard. So when I came on the floor, um, my 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 job was picking up full court against guards that were like six foot six foot one. Picking full court was really tough for me because I was already like six nine, six ten. So it was really tough, but it teached me a lot. Um, so on the ball, I'm a I'm a pretty pretty solid defender. Uh, my best thing in defense is playing off ball, uh, coming uh, denying the ball, uh, get block shots uh, out of the second line. Um, yeah, getting steals, uh, reading the defense, being the last man. Um, are my things. I think I'm pretty good at it, reading the defense. So I think I'm a pretty decent defender, but if I get stronger, it will be even more easy. Thanks. Yeah, that's something that's going to be really interesting for, again, as you've talked about a lot now with, with your development with strength. You've talked about what you're going to bring to the, the team next year, specifically that en energy on the court and off the court. What are you looking for with the team that drafts you? I'm just looking forward to win. Um, like I said, I'm a. I hate losing. Uh, the the teams that gonna, the team that gonna draft me, uh, are gonna try and do everything for the teams what 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 gonna be needed. Um, like I already said, and just for myself, work really hard to to earn my minutes and take them and prove everyone I can play on the highest level. So my my last question for you, it's 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 really a two two-part question here. Obviously, mm -hmm. we've seen an uh, increase in popularity and, and success for international players, both as prospects and then those who come into the league with success with guys like Doncic and Jokic, yeah. Giannis. But there is still a difference in the exposure, specifically at the amateur, or not the amateur level, at the prospect level. 
Um, mm-hmm. What are some of those difficulties that you've seen with just I'm aware of you? I think for myself, it's just like, if I if I played in Spain, it will be a, a whole other story. It's just for me, I think the, the hardest part is that I'm coming from Belgium. Like I already said, nobody knows Belgium, probably not even where it's based. So I think it's really hard to to uh, know the level in Belgium because a lot of people underrating the 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 level of bas- Belgian basket, but it's kind of more decent than everyone thinks because a lot of uh, prospects like Amarcilla Nakic come in there because it's it's a good level to to get experience and to play uh, European basketball. So I think that's the hardest part um, of playing in Belgium to get known. So that was really going to be my last question because I know you've talked about in the past um, your decision to stay in Belgium instead of going to a team in Spain or mm-hmm. over to play college ball. Mm-hmm. What does being a Belgian basketball player mean to you? As you said, there's not been a lot of success from Belgian players in the NBA. No, no, nothing. Uh, I was considering, considering to, uh, to go to college because I had great offers. I was not the best student in school. My, 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 my grades were not great. Um, so I couldn't go to college. So I had to stay in Belgium. Uh, I wasn't like two years ago. I wasn't ready to move out of Belgium. I had to prove myself first in Belgium. And that's what I did right now. And I think I'm, I'm on the perfect point to, to leave Belgium, like I said in the beginning, and uh, try to prove myself that I really can have an impact on the NBA team. And, yeah, we will see. Hopefully, uh, one team, all I need is, like, one team that believes in me and would that want to work with me. And, uh, yeah, that believes in me. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time. I, no I problem. appreciate it. It's been great to, to get to know you a little more. Anything else you want to say to yeah. the audience? No, not really. I uh, just want to say thank you to everyone that um, <laughs> that believes in me. And that's all I want to say. All right. Thank you, friends. Thank you.